Well, good morning. What a beautiful fall day the Lord has given us. We begin, uh, we're going to continue today our sermon series that we started uh, back right after Labor Day called Meals with the Master. And if you haven't been with us yet, let me give you a quick recap. What we're doing is we're looking at the gospel according to Luke and we're pulling out stories and instances where Jesus has a meal with people. Uh, we began by looking at the story of, of Levi, where Jesus calls Levi, a tax collector, to, to follow him. And, and Jesus has dinner that night with Levi and says a lot of his friends who are tax collectors and, and sinners. And Jesus got into some trouble with some of the religious leaders because he went to their house. And Jesus said to them uh, that I've not come, I, I have not come to call the righteous to forgiveness, to salvation. I've come to call the unrighteous. In other words, what Jesus was saying in that story was that those who acknowledge their need, who know that they fall short of God's glory, who say, yes, I'm a sinner, I need to be saved. He said, those are the ones that I've come to call. Uh, The week after that, we looked at a story where Jesus goes to another house, this time a man named Simon, who is a Pharisee, one of the religious teachers. And they have a Unusual dinner, dinner guest who crashes the party. A woman crashes the party and begins weeping and, 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 and caresses Jesus' feet and puts expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And uh, it says that she was known around town as a, as a sinful woman. And Jesus forgives her of her sins. And then last week, Pastor Wes took us to uh, the biggest meal that we have on record in the scripture, other than the wedding feast that we will all have together in heaven, was the feeding of the 5,000. Today we come to another meal, and it's a little bit different from the others in that in this situation, Jesus knows the people, the hosts, the people that he's going to their house. He knows them very, very well. In the other circumstances, Jesus, of course, knew some of the guests. He knew the disciples. But the first time that Levi met Jesus, the first time that this woman met Jesus, the first time that Simon met Jesus was when he went to their house. But in this story today, Jesus goes to the house of very, very good friends. We know that because the scriptures tell us that Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, does that sound familiar, Lazarus, the the man that Jesus raised from the dead after three days, that these three are very good friends of Jesus, probably outside of the 12 disciples and probably outside of Jesus' own family. These were his closest friends on earth. And so Jesus goes to their house for dinner and, and, and something that happens, is, which maybe some of us can relate to, um, there's a little bit of a disagreement about who's doing most of the work. Okay, so I'm going to read through the passage. It's really short. I'm going to read through it one more time. And I'm going to ask you to, to kind of reflect a little bit more deeply here. As I read through it, ask yourself, am I more like Mary or do I relate better to Martha? Okay, let's read through it. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you relate better to Martha? Now, this is a well-known story. Um, 
probably heard it taught in Sunday school class or, or preached multiple times. I myself have preached it more than once. And typically we're conditioned to think that it goes like this. Mary's the good example. She gets it right. She understands what's most important. And Martha is the negative example. She doesn't get it right. She kind of misses the point. And there's some truth to that, but, but I don't think that's quite fair. Um, because, you know, Martha's are important. We all, we all know Martha's. Maybe yourself are Martha. Being a Martha isn't necessarily a bad thing. For example, I've, I've talked about my grandparents uh, many times, probably over the years. Uh, and I was blessed with four Christian grandparents, godly people. I knew them well. I saw them often. And uh, I had over 20 years with them before they all began to pass away in my mid-20s. So I was blessed to know them well. And uh, I had two grandmothers, my dad's mom and my mom's mom. And we called them Little Grandma and Big Grandma. Okay? Uh, big Grandma wasn't really that big. She was 5'6", about 110 pounds. But we called her Big Grandma because Little Grandma was 4'9 and weighed about 85 pounds, okay? And so we, we didn't call her Big Grandma that often. I don't think she really cared for that. Uh, but that's who she was. Uh, she was Big Grandma. And, and Big Grandma was, she was a Martha. Uh, we, we'd go to her house and we always excited about that because she loved to cook. And she was really good at it. She loved to play the hostess. And so we'd show up and she would have basically two of everything, two desserts, two fruits, two vegetables, two meats, two salads, even sometimes two different kinds of bread. And it was great because you got to eat as much as you wanted and you had to make sure you were hungry and wore loose clothing whenever you went to her house. Something else I remember about those visits was Grandpa McHenry would often be saying things like Gladys. That was her name. Gladys, sit down. Sit down, relax, enjoy because she was always flitting around. She would run to the kitchen, pull hot rolls out of the oven, or she would go and pull out the salads, or she'd do this and do that. She would fill up the, the bowls. She was always, seemed always on the go, and she probably sat at the table about a, a fourth of the time, it seemed like, because she was, it was, she, was, she was so set on making sure that everybody had what they needed, that everybody was having a great time and a good experience. Her name was Gladys. But she was a Martha. Now, you know, we're glad that we have Marthas in our lives, aren't we? You know, they're important. If you want to get something done and you want to get it done right and you want it done now, typically you're going to call a Martha. Not much would get done around a lot of churches if it weren't for Marthas. They're the ones with hospitality gifts, maybe administration gifts. They're the ones who clean up, who turn off the lights, who help in the nursery, who bake the cookies, who deliver meals. And if Martha was a Martin, he'd have the gift of service or helps. He'd be ushering and mowing and fixing stuff and helping people. If you want to get something done and you want it done right, you call a Martha, right? Martha's got a little bit of a bad rap over the years. She's often been portrayed as somebody who is so task-oriented that her relationships suffer. Or somebody who can't relax, or perfectionist who, who has to make everything right to the point of people begin to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And we hear this story and we kind of exalt and lift up Mary as the example. And we think Mary got it right. 
I mean, she did, right? I mean, the Lord of the universe comes to her door and she drops everything and she sits at his feet and she listens to him and she soaks up his words in his presence. But Martha just cannot seem to relax. She can't seem to enjoy herself because she's, she's so focused on being hostess. We think she misses the forest because of the trees. But I don't think it's quite fair to Martha. I think her heart was in the right place. I think she really wanted to serve. She really wanted to help other people. She wanted them to enjoy themselves. And I think she also knew she had a very special guest. I mean, not only was Jesus a very good friend of the family, but he was kind of a celebrity, right? He was a prophet. He was a healer, a miracle worker. People hung on his words, and it's not every day that 13 hungry men show up on your doorstep. It was a big deal. We can understand how she'd be a little bit stressed out, right? In Middle Eastern culture, not, to not show hospitality would have been a, a, a huge social faux pas. And so she's doing all this, and what is her sister doing? She's sitting in the living room with the men, not lifting a finger. I'm guessing this is not the first time these two sisters had disagreements. I mean, if you've got siblings, or if you have more than one kid, you know how it can go. Mom, Dad, Joey's outside playing, I'm cleaning the room all by myself. Or you go to a family reunion when you're older, and and there seems to be somebody who's always doing... Um, more than his or her share of the work, usually in the kitchen. And so we have Martha in this story. She's running back and forth. She's setting the table. She's stepping into the kitchen, checking on the food. And every time she passes the living room, I'm guessing that she kind of clears her throat, you know, a little bit. Or maybe she steps a little bit heavier than she needs to. Or, you know, or maybe she makes a little bit more noise in the kitchen with the pots and pans, thinking that surely her sister will get the point, get the hint, but she doesn't. And so she's had enough. She reached her breaking point and she storms into the kitchen, into the living room, and she chews out her sister in front of Jesus. You ever been in a situation like that? It's kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? Maybe you've gone to a dinner party, you walk in the door, and it's pretty clear pretty soon that the husband and wife had an argument before you got there, and you can feel the tension, you know, in the room. Well, Martha fully expects Jesus that he's going to do something about this. I mean, she's the one who's working her tail off for him and the disciples. But it was a surprise because Jesus scolds her. He gently chides her. He says, Martha, Martha. When I read this, it makes me think of the Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Hmm. So what is going on here? What is Jesus trying to tell Martha? What's he trying to tell us? Is he trying to teach us a lesson that about being too busy? Is he trying to teach us about time management or simplifying our lives? Is Jesus saying the only thing that's really important or needed is to, is to sit and worship him, read the Bible, pray, meditate, go to worship? 
what about serving? I mean, how would anything ever get done? When reading and studying the Bible, it's always important to really try to dig in deep and understand what the author is trying to communicate. And so it's important to ask ourselves some questions. Why did God include this in the scripture? How would the people who have heard this for the first time, how would they have responded? In this case, it would have been Mary and Martha, probably Lazarus, the brother was probably there, and the disciples. And particularly, ask, how does this passage relate to the rest of the Bible? And when you're dealing with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's helpful sometimes to say, why did the author, in this case Luke, why did he place the story where he did? Take a look at your Bibles again in Luke 10. What comes right before the story of Mary and Martha? It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember that story? A very famous story. There's this, remember the story? There's this man traveling on a road. He gets, he gets robbed. He gets beaten. He gets left for dead. And then a series of people walk by. There's a, a priest that walks by and he sees him and he's busy. He's got to get going. And he just passes on by, leaves him there. And then a Levite comes along, another religious figure, and he walks along and he sees him and He's not sure if he's alive or dead, and to touch a, a dead person would make him unclean, and he doesn't, you know, doesn't have time to go through the cleansing ceremony, so he just keep, keeps going. And then a lowly Samaritan, a kind of a social outcast, he walks along, and he stops and helps the man out. And Jesus asks somebody, you know, who's the neighbor, the good neighbor? And, and, the, and the guy says, well, you know, it was the guy who helped him out, the Samaritan. Do you remember what prompted Jesus telling the story? Look at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, these same things, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus also adds this. He says these are the first and second greatest commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. Love others. Which is what we try to base our, our, our mission statement on, right? Go deeper in Christ, deeper in your love for the Lord, and go further in mission. Go further in serving others and expressing God's love to them. So we, we come to this, and the reason that Martha is scolded and Mary is praised is not because Martha's desire to serve and serve well and to help others is wrong. It isn't. And Jesus isn't saying, drop all your ministry involvement, drop all your commitments, and spend all your time meditating and praying and worshiping me. He's not saying that. The reason that Martha is chided by Jesus is because she has taken the two greatest commandments and she's, she's reversed them. Look at Luke 10 again. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha was allowing her service for Jesus to keep her from Jesus. You know, the Greek word used here for distracted literally means she was being pulled and dragged from all different directions. Sort of think of a tug of war and Martha is the rope. And what's at the end of the rope jerking her around? Good things, right? Hospitality and service and 
and making a nice meal and a ministry. But the problem is, is that the, is that, is that the cart's before the horse. She's putting service before devotion to God. And the result is predictable, inevitable. Frustration, resentment, impatience, irritation. You see, if we get these two commands reversed, then our service and ministry for others will eventually become laborious and strained, irritating, frustrating, and it'll change the nature of our relationship with Jesus. Look at what Martha does in the rest of verse 40. She came to him, talking about Martha, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. So she basically questions Jesus' care for her, and she orders Jesus to get on her sister's case. Chew her out. Make her help me. Martha had the loving your neighbor command down pat. She was a server. She served. She helped. But in all the busyness and going and doing, she had let the other commandments slide. You see, if we try to love our neighbor on our own power, we're going to be distracted. We're going to be pulled and dragged from all directions. We'll be swamped and running here and there, running there, getting yanked around, burned out. Maybe you've felt that way. I know that I have at times. But when we keep the two greatest commandments in the proper order, when we love God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and when we love others out of that relationship, we're going to find joy and rejuvenation and renewal. You know, most of the people I know who go into ministry, practically all the people I know who go into ministry, go into ministry because they want to help people, because they, they like helping people, they want to serve people, they have gifts to do so. And the people I know in this church, and so many of you are involved and serve, get involved because you want to serve people, you want to help people, you have gifts to do so. That's great, that's wonderful. But we must always remember this principle. When we reverse the two great commandments and emphasize loving others through service at the expense of loving God, we're going to eventually become frustrated. And we'll miss out on the joy of serving from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here it is in a nutshell. We serve others best when we love God first. That's what Jesus did. Time and again in the New Testament, we see the route that Jesus took. We read things like, Jesus got up early in the morning and went off by himself to pray, to spend time with the Father. Over and over we see that routine, that model, that example. Jesus had the order correct. He loved his Father in heaven. And then out of that relationship, out of that strength, out of that power, out of that love, he then served others. So how do we ensure that our service for other people does not cause us frustration and burnout? How do we ensure that we find joy in that? We love God first. How do we best lovingly serve our spouse? We love God first. So many great people struggle in their marriages because they try to love in their own strength and they get the two commandments reversed. How do you best serve your kids, your parents, 
you love God first? How do you best serve your, your boss, your classmates, your coworkers, your teammates, your neighbor, a stranger? You love God first. Oswald Chambers once wrote, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. He's talking about reversing the two great commandments. God wants our service. He's created us for good works. And we are called and commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, to pour out our lives for them. And love and serving others is is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But when we reverse the two commandments, all the service, all the good works in the world isn't enough for God. And God simply says, I want time with you. I, I want you, before you serve, before you help, come and sit at my feet for a while. A short story, very simple story with a very simple point. We serve others best when we love God first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We're grateful um, for what we celebrate, rate, and remember as we come to the table. That Jesus poured out his life for us. That he put our needs before his own. And because of that, we have forgiveness, we have salvation, we have grace and mercy and hope. We have eternal life. Father, we want to be people who love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Help us to make this our highest priority. And then out of that, Lord, out of that strength, out of that love, out of that power, Lord, help us then to go and to serve and to love others in your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this beautiful story of Mary and Martha. We thank you, Lord. Help us to love you and to serve others. Through Christ, amen.